Hello and welcome to VR Verdict, episode 69, our weekly podcast where we talk about everything VR. I am PJ, and Wookie is not joining us this episode, or we probably would have had something funny to say about the episode number. This episode, we will be talking to two gentlemen from Garage Collective who are working on their game Stones of Arleth, coming soon to Steam and PC VR, but right now it's out on Oculus Quest and Quest 2. We talk a great deal about the game and their vision for it and how they made it this far. But before we get into it, I have some exciting news. Well, I think it's exciting. Hopefully everyone else does. But if you're not following us on Twitter, we have some exciting news. We're joining forces with Spatial Ape Group. We're going to be moving our podcast into VR. So we'll be doing the show live and be joinable in VR Thursday nights starting on July 1st. We will still have... So right now we record Monday nights, and then if we talk to someone from a very different time zone, we shoot for like a Saturday type thing. So there will be some live shows on Saturdays as well. But for the bulk of it, it'll be Thursday nights live every week. And we'll also be streaming it to our YouTube and Facebook channels. So we'll have our own live booth or stage, and that that area will have a presence in VR 24-7. And when we're not doing the show, We'll be sharing clips and artwork and music there. And we're going to change the show a little bit. Taking questions from the crowd, uh, guests will be able to bring assets from their game into VR and we can display them. So it should make things a lot more interactive and engaging. Nothing will change with the podcast in an audio format. We'll still be releasing an episode every week, an audio version. We've been podcasting for many, many years, and I love the medium, so whether you listen or watch or hang out with us while we do it, we love that you're here listening. We'll be transitioning through the month of July. We kind of had some guests booked through there, so it might be a strange month for us and releases, but stick with us. We'll get, we'll get on track and get it all set. We do have a couple other cool things coming we'll share with you later, but definitely try to make the first show July 1st, 7 p.m. Central. Uh, We'll be giving away a lot of good game codes. Going to be exciting. Be fun to hang out. We'll be around before and after the show to hang out and talk and see what happens. But thanks again, everyone, for listening and hanging out with us. But let's get into Stones of Arleth. Joining me this episode is Surreal and Simeon from Garage Collective, working on their game Stones of Harleth. How's it going, guys? Good. How about yourself, PJ? Fantastic. Yeah, it's going great. Thanks for having us. Yeah. I uh, I saw your game, uh, just a video of it before it came out, and I was like, what is this? I have to play this. It looks so good. Oh. So for those listening, Stones of Harleth, um, I'll let you guys explain it. It'll probably go over well. What, what, how would you explain your game? 
Um, Stones of Alaf um, is an adventure game. It's a first-person adventure game that is uh, channeling a strong, strong, strong retro vibe. <laughs> uh, so it is a uh, it is an homage uh, to the games that uh, that I was playing when I was a kid. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's basically kind of like trying to kind of bring back a little bit the magic of like discovering those kind of like big pixels on the screens, uh, uh, but while still infusing uh, gameplay with like some much more modern components, uh, which in our case are represented by Simeon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I would add to that that it's it's very much an action-oriented sort of dungeon crawler experience with with some some added fun in that you can interact with with characters prior to going on on these dungeon crawling quests and it also has um a smaller open world area which i think um is one of the hallmarks of this game that we really enjoyed creating yeah and yeah. i think you guys nailed the the retro feel because you know I, when you put the vr a vr headset on you're kind of expecting like well, it depends what you're looking for, but you, you're not expecting like 8-bit um, artwork and all that. And it's, it's kind of, it's very um, charming. Like when you get in there, like it, it's just that you really feel like you, like you said, you're in the games that I played when I was in my childhood. So you guys really hit that nail on the head. And I, I love the fact that the character, you can switch from melee to like battle mage and do magic or melee combat is really, really neat. Yeah, for us, when, uh, <clears throat> when, so <clears throat> there are really two aspects in here. Uh, there is obviously the visual aspects, and then there is the gameplay aspect. For the visual aspect, uh, one of the things that when I was a kid or when I was a teenager, you were playing those games, you know, and you were always kind of like, you were completely into them, right? We, we talk about immersion yeah. for VR, but the reality is that if you, were in a, if you were a kid in the 80s and you were playing a video game, you were already immersed. Now, you, didn't, you did not necessarily have like a VR uh, headset or anything like that, but you were completely into it uh, because it was new, it was, it was novel, uh, it was a game that was kind of like responding to your actions, etc., etc. And so I, I think that the... The, the current uh, modern VR medium is allowing us to kind of ask ourselves the questions. It's like, is this what it would have felt? Uh, is, it, is, is this what it would feel nowadays the same way we felt uh, 20 years ago, right? And so yeah. there is kind of like bringing back that kind of like old school vibe uh, to the modern technology. And then there is the fact that we still have a modern technology that is there uh, that allows us kind of like multiplied interactions, uh, a, a lot more kind of control over the gameplay and things like that. And, and, and that's what Simeon is talking about uh, in the, the fact that there is the kind of retro look, but there is also the more modern uh, aspect of interaction and how we engage with, with the gameplay mechanics. Yeah. I always wondered, um, and I would, curious to hear you guys' take on it, you know, when you talk about games we played with, you know, lesser graphics and all that, do you think that maybe lent to a lot of your imagination kind of kicking in and filling the blanks type of thing while you're playing? And that's part of the nostalgia or? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. The thing is that I'm not sure that you want necessarily 
filling the blanks as in like com completing stuff that were not shown, but uh, the way your brain is kind of interpreting those images is like you're making them yours because you're reading them your own way and, yeah. and your brain is kind of completing that information. And um, I, I do believe that there is a sentiment of like, this is my stuff. Uh, I'm not just looking at something that has been kind of like pre-designed for me. I'm actually kind of a co-designer of bringing it to life. Right. Um, that maybe doesn't exist with games that are a little bit more realistic where you're just kind of in awe for the spectacle. But I think that when you're the active contributor to kind of like the aesthetic and how you react to it, I think it makes it more personal. So it's not that much of like, you know, it, it's not like a connect the dot type of thing because I think those those graphics, I mean, if we talk about like the one bit or eight bit area, obviously these were like a, a lot more simplified, but as soon as we get into the 16 bit areas, you had beautiful pixel art that was showing you stuff uh, in like multiple colors with a, a definition that was acceptable and things like that. But you were still kind of like, there was still that kind of additional layer between you and reality where you were being the translator uh, and, and that I want to kind of not lose in VR. Right. Yeah, that totally makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I was going to add that that in VR, even more so because it's VR, it's funny, like, um, I don't often get to interact with first-time VR users, but I did the other day, and he put on the headset to try our game, um, and he's, he held up his hands, you know, and he had that novel experience that first VR, first time VR users have, and they're like, "Wow, these are my hands! Yeah. Like these are my hands in VR." So that's another very interesting thing to add to, to the art style as well, is that it's 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 yours through and through. Yeah, I think that um, to to kind of like piggyback on what Simeon is is saying, there is a little bit of a. Um, realism don't necessarily engage you. Uh, realism, you're a spectator to it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there is kind of something to be said for like you being an actor into kind of creating and intellectualizing what you're seeing. And I think that distance from realism can help. I remember having that discussion with one of my students that was making a VR game and it was kind of like a, a detective from the nine, uh, from the, uh, you know, early twenties, et cetera. And I was like, why don't you make it black and white? And it was like, it's, it's VR, people expect color. And I was like, well, I think that what would be interesting in VR is to bring it in black and white. So to make yeah. it look different than what you expect. And I think that when things look different than what you expect, uh, there is kind of like a, an intellectual kind of co-creation that is happening between like the actor, the player and the environment. Yeah, I agree. Like uh, you just take like uh, super hot, for example, is just two colors and it's, pretty pretty gripping and pretty it's an unforgettable experience but i do agree like there's plenty of room to try different um aesthetics in vr and see what works yeah you cannot see me but i'm nodding hardcore <laughs> <laughs> as a as a group you, you mentioned there's two of you here that two out of three out of the out of the company or um studio how how long have you guys been around and how how many games have you made together uh together it's it's the first one uh oh, okay. simeon do you want to to go maybe in uh, uh do, you, do you want to take this one first sure so um so i had i had known cyril previously um from from working together in college um but on, on previous student projects now he um 
he had uh, let me know about his current, you know, outside of school projects, the things he was working on, because he has worked on several games, um, published things that I'm sure he'll get into. Um, but he was telling me about this, about this cool VR idea he had. Um, it was going to be pixel art. It was going to be, you know, an adventure, you know, semi-open world type magic experience. And I was putting the pieces together. I'm like, oh, that sounds like it might be interesting, you know. And um, and he said, hey, you do a lot of coding. Um, would you be interested in in jumping on the project, seeing how it goes? And I said, all right, yeah, we'll, we'll give it a shot. And um, and it turned out to be um, a ton of fun. So this is the first the first project we've worked on together. Um, I've worked on some of my own stuff separately, and so has he. Um, but it's it's been great so far working with Cyril. Awesome. Yeah, and so. Um... As far as I'm concerned, um, so so I, I teach in a, in a, in a school. I, I teach game design and game production. That's how I met uh, Simeon. Um, hmm. And uh, I've done a, I dabbled a little bit in VR a long time ago when I was a student myself in the '90s. Uh, the first rise of VR. <laughs> Uh, and you know it kind of like went away, uh, and I did a lot of like uh, browser-based games uh, and and games on like very, very retro platforms. I, I've done a, a bunch of uh, one-bit games, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and I was um, I was tasked with uh, with teaching some of uh, uh, the early classes on uh, um, AR and VR. Uh, classes, uh, introduction to AR and VR classes. And so I, I was like, well, I mean, if I'm going to teach those classes, I, uh, I want to kind of like make a project to kind of like understand the full scope of it. Uh, so I, I've, I've developed a game that was called Tita Legion on the Oculus Go. Uh, with a different partner. Uh, it was a first-person shooter, same aesthetic, um, like that kind of pixel art aesthetic, because that's, uh, I've been working on games since, um, the late 90s uh, and so i'm kind of a pixel art guy uh, <laughs> and that's something that i know well i'm pretty fast at it uh, and it's an aesthetic that i like very much it's all about control it's all about uh, uh so it's, it's something that i'm very comfortable with uh and so we we made a tita legion uh, on the go which was our first uh pixel art game um and then i kind of continued working a, a little bit on my on alone um and then I ended up partnering with uh, with another company, with another person, uh, to bring Tita Legion on the on the Rift. Um, and uh, uh, after we've we've done that, uh, I was feeling like ready for kind of a reboot. Uh, I had spent the last two years like working on a sci-fi environment, and I, I I wanted to do something kind of like more. I have two speeds, right? It's like either my games are sci-fi based or they are like fantasy based. And so nice. like okay, I've spent two years in sci-fi. I need my fantasy fix now. Um, <laughs> and and um, when uh, when I was presenting Tita Legion, uh, I was at a, a conference that's called DreamHack in Atlanta, uh, and my booth was right right next to the booth of um, a company that was presenting their game, and it was called Ninja Legends, I believe. Oh, uh, yeah. It was on the Quest, and it was a game you know where you have like very broad like sword movement and things like that. And I remember being very jealous of them because like their players were moving. <laughs> like madmen <laughs> and uh, uh with my first person shooter my players were a lot, lot more static and so i remember coming out of that that uh, conference and being like you know what um i want a, a game that involves much more like 
much more the player's body. Uh, and that's how I started thinking about like, you know, casting the magic by drawing rule, runes, etc., etc. So I, I've worked a couple months by myself. Uh, since we, we both have full-time jobs, like I wanted to make sure that I would mature the ID, that I would have something to present to whoever would work with me and like something solid that I believed in and that that person could believe in. And then I started of thinking of like, who can I partner with uh, that I know that I know works well. Uh, and then Simeon, I, I had worked with him a little bit. Uh, he kind of became a no-brainer, so I, I reached out, and that's how we started working together on Stones of Aleph. <laughs> that's crazy. I love that you say you have two speeds: you have fantasy and um, um, sci-fi. Sci-fi, the, the two best ones. And I like that you kind of like you know do one and then the other and kind of like refresh yourself is really neat yeah it's a good way to kind of like keep things interesting right yeah. uh, when we are both working on this uh, uh during our free time and so we need to make sure that it stays exciting right. uh, and something that you do for too long doesn't get super exciting sure how long have you guys been working on stones of harleth uh, I studied uh, uh, solo in November, uh, and uh, Simeon joined me in uh, February 2000. Oh, and was that? Oh, last year, yeah. Yeah, uh, so February 2020 or two, yeah, two, uh, 2020, yeah. February 2020. Oh, yep. so you, you, yeah, you do work pretty quick. That's pretty pretty quick turnaround for a release. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pandemic baby. <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> how is it um after release how has it been going i know you guys have really quickly released a couple updates for like control and things like that and which is really great to see uh how's it going for you though well finally now we can so i mean there were a few other sites uh but, but we had we have plans to kind of had more content uh but we've kind of delayed those plans uh because we're like okay well you know what we we need to do the smooth turning we need to do the left hand stuff uh like stuff that kind of fell through the crack or fell like you mm -hmm. know when we were busy with qa we were like busy fixing like big bugs and so like um our kind of brains were collectively kind of focused on like taking those those challenges and some some stuff kind of like got ignored uh so i'm kind of glad that we we've done this so that now we can kind of like serenely uh sure. go for content and uh, i mean like the first update was within the first week right for the smooth turning and the I think you added something else with that. Yep, that's yeah. that's yeah, that's all on Simeon. <laughs> yeah, we uh, since you know, like Cyril said, we had um, a few things that fell through the cracks just because we, we were so spending so much time intensely on the on the list of things that we had to get done for release. And then you know, as soon as people started saying, "Oh, hey, it would be cool if we had smooth turning too," it'd be like, "Oh yeah, they definitely do that." So you know, I hopped right on that like immediately. Like, like how soon can we push this out? Because you know, obviously, people want that. You know. Yeah, I was one of them. I was, I don't know what it is. Like snap turning is fine, but it, it's like jarring to me now that, I mean, I've been playing VR for so long and stuff, but, but then I just tell my body, I'm like, just move your body, dummy. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And the thing is that both of us, for some reason, and I've played uh, my fair share of VR games, but for some reason, like the snap turning is the thing that does it for me. Like the smooth turning doesn't, I don't know. I, it, it doesn't make me sick, but I prefer the snap turning because it's faster, I guess. 
uh, maybe I'm more of a Twitch. I, I don't know. Uh, and so since none of us were using it, we knew that it needed to be there. But since none of us were using it, it kind of it's like the left hand thing. Like yeah. we had plans for it. Uh, but then those plans got swallowed up into like the things that we needed to fix before launch, and 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 then it kind of slipped through the, through the cracks. Yeah, I, uh, I think I'm in the last well, area. I've I've spent quite a few hours in there. I just I'm one of those people that'll just kind of walk around and look at things, and then head on to the quest, and then kind of just look at you know chill out and <laughs> spend yeah. some time in the world. I really That's dig cool. the world you guys have built, and I think it's like a perfect size right now for what's there just to walk around in. That's great to hear that, um, that you enjoy, you know, hanging around and seeing what you can see. That definitely puts you kind of in our, in our target audience. You know, we, we like to hear that people are enjoying the world we've crafted, you know, not just, not just the dungeons. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm missing one, um, uh, is a treasure artifact. You have four of them, I think. Uh, I think I missed the first one somewhere. So I'm kind of hunting for that right now. Which one is it? Can uh, I think it's like the out? bottles or something. It's in the inn. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I, I found the third one, I think. I'm like, oh, okay. You clever bastards. I see what's going on. <laughs> so, but that's that's a great point that you're bringing. You know, like, it's kind of interesting because the, the genre of the game, uh, it's a dungeon crawler adventure. So, that means that you're going to get the interest of a lot of like very hardcore gamers. Mm -hmm. uh, but really at heart, we, when we balance the game, when we design the game and when we set up the experience, we, we kind of thought like, we kind of like tweaked it to be very friendly to the people that are somewhat new to VR. Uh, and, and that kind of are going to enjoy kind of like being in the world and kind of looking around and stuff like that. And then, of course, you're going to have the players that are going to be completionists, that are going to kind of like beeline, you know, directly to the objective and things like that. But yeah. uh, uh, the, the part that makes us the happiest is like when we, when we hear of those players that kind of like say, you know what, I just took a stroll on the island and <laughs> uh, just to kind of enjoy the sights. Like, because this is exactly what we had in mind, the type of players that we had in mind when we designed the environment. It's like, we want to create sites and we don't want it to be so big that it's going to be boring to kind of yeah. go through there. Like we want to keep it kind of medium size so that it's always exciting and enjoying and you can get there, you can get anywhere pretty fast, but you still have like some sites to soak in getting there. Yeah. And I like to, like I said, when I explore, I try to, I'll use only one certain spell so I memorize it because sometimes like in the heat of the battle it's like you kind of forget which spells you can do type of thing so I try to like do one at a time while I'm kind of just roaming around and get it in my head so it's a really good that, practice for me that's absolutely uh, uh, normal like uh, we want you to preemptively equip your spells and that's why you have the book in that hand that now yeah. you can close uh, <laughs> but that's why you have that book it's like Every spell is kind of like clearly spelled yeah. out, uh, uh, how to draw them, etc., etc. Um, <laughs> and, and now uh, we we've made an update, so you don't even need to draw them. You can actually touch the spell, uh, and it's going to load it up in your hand. For the people that are struggling a little bit with the drawing, sure. we felt that it was kind of an acceptable uh, resolution. Yeah, actually, that's really good because you you know for accessibility for people. Um, I really 
like the update you did to where you can cast while you're moving, because that was one thing getting me in trouble. I was running for my life quite a few times trying to cast a fire spell or something. Yeah. yeah that's an example of like player feedback being invaluable, right? And for us, that the idea, the philosophy okay. was like, we want you to kind of like stop cast like be exposed right it's yeah. like for us there is like there was like that kind of philosophy you have a shield and a sword and you're turtling uh you're tanking uh, or you're kind of like going to do a lot of damage but you're going to leave yourself exposed and then we kind of learned that well players are not necessarily seeing this as black and white and they want something in the middle and so i think that the ability to cast spells while moving is kind of a good a good crossover yeah, and with the the size of the world we we were talking about a little bit before, um, in my mind, like I I didn't know how long the game was when I launched it, but I always, you know, in my mind right now, yeah. VR games are kind of on the shorter side, so I like to really take extra time and hang out because a lot of times if I just play through it, it's like oh it's over and there's no reason to go back. That's why I'm glad you guys are talking about future content, not that I've finished it yet, but on our guest before on our last episode from um, Tab Games. I think, I don't know what your feelings are, but like, I actually really like episodic content in VR because it gives me a reason to come back where like on a normal flat screen, like in console or PC gaming, I don't really like episodic stuff, but I think it works really well for VR because it gives you, you know, you only want to be, most people only want to be in the headset for a couple hours at a crack. So if you can have a good experience for that couple hours and then work through it, I think that works out well. I I agree. I think you're, too, you're you're touching on two two important points there. Uh, particularly, you know, with uh, devices like the Quest and things like that. Like the, the battery is not going to be infinite. Uh, I mean, I know that some people have battery packs and things like that, but you can expect the players uh, uh, to kind of like have like the regular hardware. So, like for example, when you're designing dungeons and things like that, you want to make sure that you're not having a dungeon that takes like six hours to go yeah. through. Um, because there is nothing more frustrating than having to kind of stop in the middle of the dungeon uh, because your battery is kind of uh, uh, dying. Uh, um, so, I, I think that when, as content developer, at least as far as I'm concerned, when I'm designing for VR, I kind of like think uh, in lines of like bite size, like things that mm -hmm. people can do and 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 do meaningfully in in one playthrough, not stuff that is going to take six or, or ten hours to uh, uh, um, to complete. Uh, th that's um, very much like the philosophy of like World of Warcraft, right? Where it's like mm -hmm. they they kind of like scaled down some of their experiences so that people felt that they could do something meaningful in a short commitment of time. Uh, the, the, the beauty of the episodic content is particularly because it's VR and it's a new medium and things like that, uh, is that you can basically put something out there uh, and then see how people react to it and then kind of like adjust and tailor yeah. your next content to kind of like factor what was the reaction on your previous one like what people like what they dislike etc so uh, <clears throat> there is something extremely convenient about that which is like hey you know what uh we are going to make the next experience learning from the previous one uh, uh so that i i definitely see that as a boon uh, um simeon what, what are your thoughts on that that's a yeah that's a really good point from a developer standpoint as well um yeah, being able to learn from from the previous from the previous episode, um, and I totally agree with the with the bite sized content. I know personally, um, I've spent less hours in VR than you know a lot of other you know hardcore VR users. 
And so that being the case, my bytes tend to be slightly smaller when I when I, you know, play a game. And so I really enjoyed that, you know, the dungeons that we made, you know, like you said, weren't several hours long. And so they were a good bite bite size for me. So like as a player, I would enjoy playing my game because the bytes are are the perfect length for how long I want to play, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a I'm a very sharp fused gamer. Like uh, I'm, I'm very much of an explorer, meaning that when things are too long, uh, if I stay in the same place for too long, I get bored very easily. So the games that usually get me are the ones where like I get to see something new at a at a nice rate. And so we design games for what we what we want to play and to me it's like yeah if like you pick me put me two hours in vr in the same dungeon seeing the same textures and the same thing etc it's just going to be kind of like I'm, I'm i'm going to start feeling kind of claustrophobic and stuff like that so we really wanted to make sure that you would get to the dungeon and it would be over before you were tired of it uh that you would get a meaningful experience and i was like oh that was cool i was in that cool place and now i can't wait to see what the next place is going to be and we tried to make all every single one of our dungeons like significantly different from the previous one just to fulfill that thing it's like hey you know what you're progressing you're moving forward you're seeing something new every time yeah does that has that changed the way you kind of develop because in my mind, and I'm not a developer or anything close to that, but for like a normal traditional game, you kind of complete the entire game. But for like the shorter experiences and stuff, do you do you kind of prioritize like I have to build the systems and this and that, and then I know when that stuff's solid, we can just add content at will type of thing? Yes and no. Um, the... As far as I'm concerned, uh, and I'll let Simeon uh, respond to kind of like the organization of it, but as uh, art-wise uh, and design-wise, I felt, as far as I'm concerned, all the games that I've made, even on flat screen, they change is always a significant component of my games. Like, I don't like people. I, I don't like to... I, I never made a game where you had only one level, right? It's It's always, like, to me, like, changing level and seeing something new is always part of the of the reward uh, of progression so i'm used to kind of make games that progress pretty fast uh because as a player that's what i want to see i i want i want my progress to think meaningful and and therefore like i want the next thing to be different than the previous one so it, it's a pipeline for me that is kind of like pretty usual yeah for as far as the organization of of you know the order in which things went and implemented um, one thing that I like to think about is uh, what what is the funnest part of the game? What is the one part that the players will just enjoy the most? And kind of design that first, because if if that if you find out that that actually isn't fun, well then your whole game needs to be you know redesigned. But if if you can nail that down right away, like what is the most fun part? Then then the rest of it kind of unravels from that. Because one thing that I've discovered is that. Um, like the magic system or the way you can interact with enemies with your spells, it ended up being slightly different than I thought. I'm like, this is fun, but for a different reason. And so then that informed, you know, how I designed the next set of enemies and how I designed like the interactions in the next dungeon. Um, so I like to start from there. Okay. Yeah, one thing that uh, uh, that we did not necessarily anticipated when we started is like we were seeing kind of those spells as like, you know, different ways to kind of like um, nudge the fight. Uh, but as uh, Simeon started kind of integrating those spells, we realized that there was some sort of a synergy that existing between one spell to the next, and that uh, a lot of the fun was kind of like combining those spells, or like 
using this one first, this, this one second, this one third, and that it would completely change the dynamic of the fight. And so we we started with in one place, but as we play tested the game, uh, we kind of like evolved into a, a different place. That's awesome. I have to tell you that you know, thinking back, playing older games, pixel art games like two D. And, you know, you'd always get to the boss battles and the boss was, you know, somewhat bigger than you. But in VR, like some of the enemies in here are just, they're enormous. <laughs> it's kind of, it's like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, it's um, one of the, one of my favorite game, one, not, yeah, no, it's actually one of my favorite, but one of the most foundational game that I played in VR was a Farpoint. Um, and I remember like that huge scarab that you're fighting. And I remember being like, oh my God, that thing is so big. <laughs> and so, yeah, we have some enemies that, uh, particularly if you're mentioning like um, one of our enemies in our later dungeon, that is a huge <laughs> thing that is normally not that big. Uh, yeah, that, that's, completely, that's completely based on that, right? It's like, we want you to kind of feel that sense of scale. And it's like, oh my God, that thing is, is way bigger than it should be. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's intended. Yeah, that's awesome. Scale, I say this a lot on the podcast, but scale is my favorite thing in VR, like my favorite aspect. You shrink me down and just make me and put me in center and in front of anything huge. I just my jaw drops. <laughs> yeah, I think I totally agree with you there. VR is the perfect place for that. Yeah. Yeah, when I was a kid, I had two fantasies. One of them was to shrink, you know, the size of like an <laughs> Um, uh, and uh, um, kind of experience the world at that different scale. And the other one was to flip gravity so that I would walk everywhere on the ceiling and like the whole world would be <laughs> upside down. Um, and maybe maybe the next game will be that, where it's like you're going to kind of visit like normal environments, but they are all flipped uh, and you need to kind of like cross over them. Like, yeah, VR allows you to kind of like take some of those kind of like kids dream, what if, uh, and yeah. bring them to life. Yeah, I can only imagine like a honey, I shrunk the kids experience in VR, how crazy that would be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wow. what is Marvel waiting to do a Hentman VR video exactly. game? Exactly. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I try not to spoil anything and I try not to like ask you guys questions that you don't want to answer, like future plans and stuff. But is there anything um, you want to share about anything upcoming for the game? I don't know, Simeon, do we want to share something? <laughs> um, I mean, we have some, uh, some action-oriented content coming very, very shortly. Uh, awesome. You can say more if you want, Cyril. <laughs> yeah, so we, 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 have, we, we have plans. Um, we have a, kind of a medium-sized content update uh, that we were really, really like looking forward to do. Uh, but that we kind of delayed a little bit because we we wanted to take care of the smooth turning and you know the adjustable height, uh, height, the closing the book and the left-handed mode. Uh, uh, so now that this is out of the way, uh, we are planning our medium content update, which will be a free update uh, nice. uh, for uh, the players. Hopefully, uh, in the coming uh, month, month and a half, uh, which should be exciting. Uh, which should bring also kind of like different type of excitement in the game. Like maybe this one may be more for like 
the people that really enjoy the fight and really enjoy the strategy of like spell casting and, and melee and like when to use one or the other, etc. etc. Nice. Uh, so uh, as Simeon mentioned, uh, more action oriented. And then we are currently discussing uh, a content update that would be Meteor. Uh, but we don't really have, like, we've been discussing it. We've actually started some work on it. Uh, but we are kind of like waiting a little bit to see how people react to the game. Like, you know, do people like the game? Like, I mean, what is the viability of kind of making making those types of uh, con bigger content updates to kind of add more missions or another world or another theme, etc., uh, etc. Et so, yeah, uh, this one is kind of more uh, in a more midterm uh, future. Okay. That's the, the flip side of the episodic um, stuff we were talking about is when I really like a game, you know, a month feels like a year when, you know, there's something coming for it. And it's like, I just want to play it. <laughs> it's true. Um, to, to that regard, though, this is why we, we have like um, two tiers of content update. We have like the kind of like easier, more actionable one, which should be coming, as I said, in a month. And then we have like the more ambitious one that is like, this one needs a little bit more planning. Sure. And, you know, to have two different styles or tiers is a, is a smart thing because, you know, it keeps, anytime you release content, it keeps, you know, gets your, your name back out there and it brings it back to everyone's memory if they haven't played it for a bit. And so mm -hmm. the more, the more often you do that, I think it, it helps. Well, I mean, I, particularly because for us, I mean, Stones of Alaf is a product of passion. So uh, the more we we know that players are engaged with our world and that they are they're happy in it and they are having fun and things like that. I mean, that 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 that's a reward in itself. Uh, uh, and so that, that's the reason why we kind of want to kind of get a better feeling of like what is it that players are enjoying about our game uh, and can we deliver more of it. So I'm curious with. Um enemy design some of the enemies like were there certain enemies from like childhood or past games that you're just like that's that has to be in the game or is it kind of just a fresh take on a lot of the a lot of different enemies or how did you work that out um <laughs> i'm not sure i want to answer that question oh. <laughs> um <laughs> so the, the thing with stones of Alaf is that the game is extremely tropey, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like, one thing that I'm not sure was uh, communicated or, or understood well about the game is that there is a kind of like a... It's not taking itself too seriously. Right. Um, and because it's, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of like a... It's like a Dungeon and Dragon campaign that is being written by a 12-year-old, right? <laughs> uh, it's kind of like wearing it proudly on its sleeve. Right? Yep. It doesn't try to be the next Skyrim. I agree. I just love the fact that I, I got it right away, what, what you're going for. And I'm curious, the people that didn't, maybe, like, maybe they haven't played those old games. Maybe they're younger people or something, but... I think you guys nailed it. Like I was, I really enjoyed it. And like, I saw a couple of comments about voice acting, but I thought the voice acting was perfect. You know, it's kind of cheesy and kind of, um, you so, know, so, <laughs> yeah, the voice acting is, a, is, a, is a, another thing. So yes, the voice acting, for example, you know, the, some of my voice actors, like I, it's just the actors with hair quotes there. <laughs> um, 
there are two things. First of all, the, the people that I use their voice to record, like I work them hard to kind of like change their voice, like make it a little bit more exaggerated, etc. Mm -hmm. Brother Cody doesn't talk like that in the <laughs> real life. Like, right. So that's the first thing that you need to know. And the second thing that you need to know is Brother Cody is my neighbor. <laughs> um, and I was not planning originally on using my neighbor. Um, but what happened is that when it was time to record the voices and when we had like the structure of the story and the narrative, uh, basically, uh, the pandemic was, uh, uh raging. Uh, yeah. it was, I was planning actually using like sound booths, uh, uh, professional sound booth, do some professional sound recording, but all of this went out of the window. Like you could not book a sound booth. You could not book. Uh, uh, um, a voice recording actor in an enclosed space, etc. Et and so yeah. I did what like indies do, uh, shifted gear and say, well, you know what, I'm going to use the people around me. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and that's what people have been doing in the 80s, right? I yep. mean, you had like a lot of like unprofessional actors and things like that. And, and we made it sound like, I mean, I wanted, I, I, yeah, I wanted those voices to be exaggerated. I remember like my brief to Brother Cody, I was like, I want you to play this part like if you were like right in the middle of a Scooby-Doo episode. Like <laughs> Scooby-Doo was my reference. So I was like, you're a Scooby-Doo character. You're not serious. You're a cartoon character. You're heavily pixelated. Uh, uh, you're saying some kind of like crazy stuff. Uh, it is not serious. Like I don't want you to kind of like go Shakespeare on me or anything like that. Um, and so I think that there is a, I think in the voice acting, there is kind of like a, uh, 60% of intention and then 40% of like, well, I mean, we, we did with what we were dealt with. Uh, I tried some, some other actors, uh, but the problem when you go with online services is that you get like recording differences, etc., that are very difficult to equalize and, and, and just, and I fell in love with those, 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 um, those voices. I mean, because when I hear brother Cody, I know, I, I know the face of brother <laughs> Cody. I, I can hear my neighbor telling me all of this silly stuff. Uh, um, um, yeah, to me, it's part of the charm of the game. Uh, I know that some people struggle to kind of like understand that. And we are still kind of assessing, uh, that feedback. Yeah. Well, I loved it. I, I thought it was very, like, like you said, playful and it's not taking it so serious and, I, I chuckled the first couple times I talked to someone. So, yeah, these are real people. They are, yeah, and they are not professional, and they just did that out of the kindness of their heart. <laughs> I was going to ask you more about you some of the enemies, but you don't want to talk about them, so I won't. <laughs> so, sorry, was that? Oh, I just I brought up the the. The enemy characters, but you said you didn't really want to talk about them. Oh, so. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, no, I, I can't answer that. Well, so, well, I'm sorry, I, I took a, a little bit of a... Oh, no, that's fine. ...version there. But the enemies, it's the same thing. It's basically like, what are you expecting to see uh, in, a, in a tropey fantasy yeah. game? Again, like something that is not super serious, right? I'm not trying to be like super dark, like you see the world is pretty light. Mm -hmm. Even though, like, there is some darkness in the game, like, it's pretty bright, it's pretty colorful, it's pixel art. Uh, so, I mean, spiders 
uh, um, in the cellar. Uh, no, sorry, uh, rats in the cellar. I mean, if you played <laughs> old school RPGs, you know that quest. That's, it had to be there, right? Yep, that's the first quest in every game. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, like that was a no-brainer. It's yep. like, yes, you're going to get a character. And I like the idea that she was a wine merchant. Like, I mean, again, like the, we did not want the humor to be like, ha, 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 like I, I nudge you in the, uh, like more kind of like something I'm not going to say subtle because I don't necessarily think that Stones of Alaf is particularly subtle, but more kind of understated. The humor is there, but it's not like in your face. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the rats in the cellar is obvious. Uh, in the, um, yeah, the rats in the cellar is, is is obviously kind of a reference to like you know like those Elder Scroll uh, <laughs> games. Uh, uh, spiders. You expect to see spiders in the fantasy yeah. game. Cobbles, like the little rat people. Uh, in the mine, uh, specters and skeletons. I mean, all of those enemies, they, they kind of like become uh, de facto, right? And yep. then you have like a big tentacly monster, uh, obviously for some uh, obvious IP reasons. I, <laughs> I, I cannot have a beholder or anything like that, but I can create something that is somewhat similar uh, uh, and use it as like a final boss, which is like, a, uh, there is like a, a, a small Cthulhu influence in Stones <laughs> of Alaf. Uh, and I, so I wanted kind of a big tentacly monster uh, at the end uh, as your final boss. Yeah, and I think that adds to the charm, like you said, because I went down in that. I I knew what was going to happen before it happened. I'm like, there's going to be rats down in, in that cellar there, and I like, yep. Can you please go kill all the rats in the cellar? And I just kind of laughed. <laughs> I thought it was great. I was, um, <laughs> I was reading an article on the Guardian. Uh, I I read the Guardian like daily. Uh, and they had like a, a piece uh, on the mummy, you know, the 1999 uh, movie, the mummy with Brandon mm. Fraser yep. and uh, Rachel Weisz and things like that, which is uh, with Indiana Jones, like part of my favorite movies. Uh, I love the mummy. And what yep. I loved about the mummy is that, you know, all the cheesy stuff that that you had, like from the Hammer House movie, you know, like the Boris Karloff and the mummy, like all of those movies, like they they, they kind of embraced it and they say, you know what? Let's have fun with this. And I think that Stones of Alaf is a lot like that. It's like, let's not try to be too serious about all of this, but let's, at the opposite, let's embrace it and ride it and have fun with it. And so our enemy design and our voice acting and our quests uh, and our general storyline, they are all informed by that kind of like, let's not take ourselves too seriously. Yeah, I enjoyed it. You mentioned like the different uh, layouts and dungeons. Like I... I thoroughly enjoyed fighting up the spiral staircase area. That was really fun. Yeah, we we were uh, we were talking about that. We were really hoping that it would it would it would kind of feel exactly what you were saying, PJ, earlier about you know the scale of things. You know, looking up at enemies yeah. that in a way that you couldn't in, in another medium. And you know, the spiral staircase being another example of that. You know, that would be super fun in VR. You know, so yeah, kind of. I wasn't really expecting anything aerial to come at me, but the first one that attacked me kind of made me jump a little bit. I'm like, oh, crap, they're up there now. <laughs> it took me off guard, so that's awesome. Yeah, I think that's, that's also the was one of the points. I remember Simeon and I were super excited uh, because, you know, again, I was talking about changes and the fact that we want the game to kind of throw something different at you as much as we can. Uh, and so a lot of the dungeons have been kind of like horizontal so far. Uh, and then we bring that, that dungeon that is now ha 
introduce a little bit of vert verticality because you go kind of down, yeah. you know, you take some stairs and things like that. And then I was thinking of finishing that dungeon with like a purely vertical thing will be amazing because it will feel different. It will not feel like the previous dungeon or the one before that. So again, we are just trying to vary the experience so that players feel that they are doing something new every time. Yeah, that was really neat. Again, if you don't, if you don't want to say anything, it's fine. But is there anything that you wanted to get into the game that you probably won't be able to for another, or for one reason or another, that you kind of wish you could? Or is there, is this all hushed stuff that you might be able to add? Um, Simeon, you want to start with this? Yeah, there, there are a few things that um, will likely be coming, actually. And so it's interesting that we had talked earlier about, um, about casting spells while moving. Um, that was something that that originally I had thought would be awesome, and then we kind of decided against it, and we kind of went the went the route where you had to stop and cast the spells, and then and then it kind of bounced back the other way again when we got um, feedback that you know people would enjoy to cast it while moving. So um, so that was one thing that that did actually make it in that I didn't know that it would. <laughs> um, so that was one example. Um, and then in the in the upcoming update as well, we have a a whole bunch of very cool things i think that will, will make it in <laughs> did yeah, you some of the some of the thing that we plan like you know when you when you're going to kind of like go take a shot at making a game and bringing it to market uh, and particularly when you know that you're going to have to QA a whole bunch of stuff uh, you're going to kind of try to kind of simplify things and keep kind of like a, a, a strong core uh, that is there and that is going to be fun uh, and then say, hey, you know what, if that core works out, uh, I'm going to start attaching all of those different elements to that core once that core has been proving that it's working. The last thing that you want is to kind of start diverging, like find divergent elements that are going to kind of explore their own little stuff left and right, because now you're, you're kind of making your project more and more complex and more and more difficult to finish. So uh, I think that one of the things that we both, uh, Simeon and I, agreed with at the beginning is like, Let's kind of build a strong core uh, of something that is fun and that people will enjoy interacting with. And then uh, if we have the proof that people are actually enjoying working with this and playing with this and things like that, then we are going to add those elements. Uh, sometimes that are going to be more of the same, but most of the time that are going to be maybe very different uh, and that are going to kind of expand on the gameplay and make it even richer and richer and richer. So we do have plans. Uh, Right now, we, we are uh, less than a month in launch. So we are kind of like also looking at, you know, um, we are looking at our metrics, uh, how much people are playing and how many people are playing and things like that. And, and that's going to kind of educate some of the choices that we are going to make. It's like, sure. uh, oh, this seems popular. This is, seems less popular. Uh, uh, oh, uh, people are spending a ton of time on our game. Uh, we need to bring them like replayable content. <laughs> or people are hungry for a, bigger adventure and so we need to bring them different content we we are kind of like learning as we go okay um if i could flip your question on its head for a moment sure uh, you, had, <laughs> you had asked um, if there was something we thought would make it that didn't um but on the flip side of that um something made it in that i thought ended up being really cool that that we hadn't planned for originally which was uh the the magic weapon system and and having having weapons that are empowered by spells um, yeah. Originally, you know, because we were shooting for a, a simple, straightforward um, 
more casual experience. We weren't going to have, you know, a whole array of, of weapons or, or upgrades for weapons and stuff. But as it turned out, you know, we, we were like, oh, well, what if, what if we could, you know, incentivize or like empower players in their melee combat to feel, to feel super cool, you know, when they're hacking and slashing. Um, like Cyril said about things getting redundant, we don't want the sword play to get redundant. So we started adding, um, we added a mace that shoots electricity and stuff. And that actually turned into one of my favorite parts of the game. So that surprised me where when we added some of the magic weapons, now I, I, I'm excited when I play, when I find a magic weapon, because for me, that's one of the funnest parts. Yeah, I, I actually, I'm glad you, you talked about that, Simeon, because it's true, I, I'm, I'm, with, I'm right there with him. Like, the magic melee weapons are one of my favorite parts of the game, and these, these came completely organically. Like, we were not planning on those. Uh, actually, we had a thing where it's like no inventory, right? Uh, <laughs> like, we wanted to kind of like really streamline the management on the player side. So it's like, we wanted an adventure that you could experience and not necessarily have your nose in an inventory all the time. Uh, but I think that Simeon found, like Simeon is the one that created those magic weapons. And I'm like fully on board with those. Like they are one of the most satisfying thing in game. Yeah, I uh, picked up a flaming sword kind of early on. I was like, I was not expecting. I'm like, oh, this is pretty sweet. <laughs> Oh, you haven't found... See, is that the only one that you picked up? No, I, I've found the, the lightning hammer um, and the shield. I found... A, is there two variations of the shield? Or there are more, maybe? No, um, there is a life-stealing shield. There is a, a freezing axe and a, a thunder mace. Uh, and then the warhammer. I don't remember the name of the warhammer, but like the, war, the mana warhammer. Like the warhammer <laughs> is like the ultimate weapon. Nice. Yeah, so I don't know if you've encountered it yet, but somewhere hidden on the island itself is the Mana Warhammer, and then once you find it on the island, it unlocks it in the chests. Okay. So, so the chests kind of randomly spawn loot for you, and some of them are are the melee weapons that are you know empowered by magical spells. And once you find the Mana Warhammer, you can randomly pick it up in chests, and it's it's one of the coolest in my opinion. That's... Yeah, one of the things that we really want uh, is to kind of like empower players to use those magic weapons more in the future so i think that whatever we do in the future be it small scale or bigger scale it's going to involve more weapons awesome i noticed once i found that flaming sword it started popping up in chess so is it just a random thing or is it kind of like if you're low on health and mana that might be what you have you might get out of the chest or is it just totally random so that, that's a good question yeah did you want to comment no, 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 well, go, go for it. Okay, um, so it's a, little, it's a little bit of both. Um, nice. There's a certain element of randomness, but, but in this game, we were very, very um, intentionally designing things, like our, our dungeons are not randomly generated, they're handcrafted. The, the waves in the arena, for example, are handcrafted waves, they're not random enemies. Um, and so in this case as well, we wanted to have a certain level of control over when the player experiences certain things. So it does, it does take into account your level of health and mana, when randomly choosing to perhaps give you potions. Um, but outside of that, um, it is very very specific where where you're going to pick up a magic weapon prior to a fight that would um, be fun to use it in, that type of thing. Oh, nice. That's what it kind of seemed like, but I wasn't quite sure. Yeah. Yeah, all of this is intentional. That's really smart because, you know, again, VR is a little different medium, whereas, like, in a, in a flat game... You know, it's if some games you can you, you don't regen health and you have to like heal yourself. Um, I'm playing 
this game on uh, normal, I believe, whatever the normal setting is. And there's been some close calls, but for the most part, I've been doing pretty well. But you always find health right when you seem to kind of need it. So, <laughs> and again, okay. like. And particularly because we wanted the experience to be forgiving to kind of starting players like that's that that goes with like i mean we are the we are not a roguelike like yeah. uh, uh um stones of Alaf is as far as roguelites as as it can be uh not i i i enjoy roguelites but it's a different design philosophy yeah i, I think that again vr is a little different like I'm more into just exploring and experiencing something and having fun. Whereas like if I died and had to restart a whole like dungeon over or something, it might get a little old quick. Like, and yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that we cannot afford the same levels of frustration that, yeah. we, that we would have in uh, flat screen gaming as in VR. I think in VR, we need to be a little bit more, have a little bit more leeway for the, the consumer to kind of like just enjoy their time because just the, the processing power that it takes in their brain to kind of enjoy and kind of like soak the sights, kind of like look around and things like that. Uh, we know that the people are not necessarily going to be as laser sharp focused on, on the gameplay, uh, that they may want, there is a, an experiential part that is going to be demultiplied uh, uh, as opposed to, uh, as opposed to uh, uh, flat screen gaming. And, and, and particularly for uh, Stones of Our Life, like, pleasure and and player empowerment were like two very driving pillars of our decisions uh does it feel good do players feel empowered do players feel powerful uh will players enjoy being there will players be bored like all of those things uh were things that we try to pay attention to that's really really smart i think and i appreciate it <laughs> yeah and on the note of feeling empowered uh to anyone who is who is listening search out for that man of warhammer on the <laughs> island because i think that'll make you feel empowered <laughs> i have a new quest <laughs> oh it's a, yeah it's a, it's a big it's a big uh big gold and purple warhammer you can't miss it when you see it <laughs> when you see it yeah. <laughs> yeah you gotta look around a little bit that's that's the thing right like uh, we, we we know that we have some players that kind of went from point a to point b from point b to point c and things like that but we try to that's why we hit those little treasures in the island and some of those weapons is to kind of like encourage people to kind of like look around and explore a little bit yeah i like nothing better than taking out a tribe of the mermen and just kind of like rummaging through their their belongings and their little huts <laughs> yeah and the more you unlock spells, the more it becomes fun to kind of like approach those fights differently and, mm -hmm. you know, like freeze them into place and then execute, it, execute them or like uh, use a blizzard spell. And it's like the combination of those is uh, should allow you for like a lot of like creative freedom on like how you're going to uh, obliterate those enemies. That um, blizzard spell, I cast that and was just walking around killing bats without even, you know, just by walking past them. I felt pretty, pretty badass. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, on and the topic funny. of, oh, no. you can go. It's funny because you know, like um, I was discussing with a player, and they were like, "Did you guys thought about like progression, right? Like a more kind of like RPG." stat-based system and things like that. And I was like, well, it, it's not really what uh, Stones of Alaf was trying to be. Even though we thought about it, we were trying to kind of make a, a game that would be simple to interact with uh, from the player's standpoint. Uh, but the reality is that 
that progression, you have it, right? At the beginning, you have like a fire spell, which is pretty serviceable uh, and has like those two functions, right? You can, mm -hmm. you can cast fireballs or you can like create a big fire bomb. But like later, the last dungeon, when you get that blizzard spell, like <laughs> tell me it's not progressing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's the thing, right? You get spells that are increasingly more powerful that allows you to kind of like damage more enemies in a bigger variety of circumstances so even though it's not stat based and you don't necessarily have a skill tree well you you're getting spells that are becoming that are becoming increasingly more powerful or more useful for you uh, and i think that that's how we handled progression do you have something to say simian we both kind of cut you off <laughs> no, that's okay um you you touched on it um a good deal zero um to expand a little bit we do still you know uh have an element of freedom for all the players. We want them to feel free to, you know, if they really do like the fireball or if in the heat of combat, that's the only shape they can remember, that's fine. Like, like you can use the fireball um, as much as you want. But but for those players that, that want to try to try out new things, um, we had in mind when designing the later spells some certain combinations um, of spells to use in combat that would be very helpful. Um, I don't want to give them all away because some of them are pretty cool, but... But a basic one would be, you know, just placing a shield, a mana shield. You know, when, when it blocks projectiles, it regenerates your mana for you. Yeah. And then from behind there, you can um, you can uh, shoot out attacks from behind, or uh, later on you get a a life regenerating type of thing. And um, and placing the level two version of that along with the the level one version of the mana um, shield and, you know, see what happens, take out a wave in the arena using that. And it's, it's pretty, pretty cool in my opinion. So, yeah, I haven't got to the arena yet. I like to get through the story and then tackle that kind of stuff. But in my, in the video I shared, like I was just kind of messing around and I wasn't even really thinking about it. I cast the time slow spell and then I hit that blizzard thing and you just watch all the bats pop into piles of bones and <laughs> in slow motion. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to the arena with that one. So, <laughs> Yeah, no, the, well, the arena is really the perfect place uh, for you to have fun with those spell combinations and kind of like see what works for you. Um, so we are very impatient to uh, maybe see more of this. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> nice. Well, we normally go for an hour before we call it. Is there anything else you guys want to share that we didn't get to or... Because if I don't know if you've listened to any episodes, but if you let us, like Wookie and I, will just like hold the guests hostage and keep asking questions, and you'll be here till way too late. <laughs> yeah, as far as I'm concerned, I think we covered a lot of. I mean, is there any question, PJ, that that you haven't asked yet, or is there anything that? I guess I'll ask. With the plans for future content, are you looking at? And again, you can be vague. I, I, I won't mind, but. Adding like weapons and enemies and area type thing, like all like the whole gambit, or are you guys kind of looking to focus on certain things? That's a good question. Uh, all, all the above. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, a little bit of each, you know, a fair balance, I would say. You know, I'm, I'm like the greedy gamer. I'm always like, I want more of this, more of that, more of that. And it's like, you know, I don't know what you guys are going through. Like maybe, you know, it's, I mean, I'm not saying it's easy to develop anything, but it's like, I've put my foot in my mouth where, like, I forget I'm talking to, like, a one-man team, and he's like, yeah, I'll get to that in, like, eight months. <laughs> so I'm always kind of oh, no. leery of asking questions like that, but... No, I, no, 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 no. 
I mean, listen, we don't mind when, when players ask, ask us that because that means that they are enjoying the content that is there. Right. And you know, the, the reality of it is that when you spend as much time and as much like nights and weekends and, and, and days as we did on the game, uh, the, la the, the best thing for us is to kind of like let us know that you're enjoying our content <laughs> sure. because like uh, we... Uh, we did not this we did not do this to to live in a castle in france right <laughs> uh like that's a project of passion like we enjoyed working together uh and we are proud of our product uh and so you know when you when you do something that you like and you're proud of it the best thing that can happen to you is when other people are like hey you know what i'm enjoying it too and i want more of it like this is never going to uh, this is never going to uh, offend us. <laughs> uh, now uh, the reality is that yes, of course, we are two people. So uh, uh, we are two people with jobs and things like that. So yeah. uh, there is a certain timeline that that needs to kind of like be realistic. But but we are also we've worked a year and a half together. Uh, we are starting to be pretty efficient at it, uh, and and w we went we shipped the game with the idea of like hey, you know what if people like it we because we are excited we started thinking about okay what what can be next and we started dividing what can be next that can be done quickly and what can be next that is going to require more work so for what can be done quickly and quickly on a like one month two month timeline uh we have a pretty good idea of where we want to go uh and i would uh, uh it's already in motion Awesome. Uh, it got paused. Uh, it got paused because we had to kind of like take care of like you know the left hand mode and all of that stuff. But now that we took care of it, uh, we can refocus on like adding that th those new stuff. Uh, and then as uh, we are going to release that new stuff, and then we are going to see how is it received by players. Uh, um, and, and then we'll kind of adjust our plan for the more longer term stuff. You know, like when you're a small team, that's the beauty of it is that you can be a little bit more reactionary and kind of like do something, yeah. put it in the hands of player, see what happens, and then course correct. Yeah, that's, I've heard a lot of devs that we've talked to say that, and I think that's just the feedback, like, you know, everyone has a Discord, and that's where you get a lot of your feedback nowadays. I think that's just amazing, because it does, I've seen it change the course of many games, and it's just a great thing when when the dev can get that information and actually like work with it and make something really great. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the reality of making games, right? You, you, you want to make products that people are enjoying. So like being able to measure where their enjoyment is and being able to kind of like do more of the same so that you know that they will engage with the content and be happy with it. I mean, I think is, is where every single game developer wants to be. Yeah. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Cyril, with them. Um... You know, it's a passion project for us. So we're not, you know, we're not sorry that people want more content. We're we're excited. Yeah, we're happy to give you more content. This is what we love. You know. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. I can't wait to see what you guys do and where you take the players. Can't wait. Can't wait to uh, take them there. <laughs> I did have one last question. It's kind of a personal question. I was just curious. Where do where do you teach? Um. I um. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to uh, oh, okay. say the name, uh, but I, I can tell you that I teach uh, uh, video game design uh, and video game production uh, into an art uh, college uh, that is uh, located in the charming town of uh, Savannah, uh, USA. Okay. I only so ask because... With, with that, it should be easy to find <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah. I was just curious because... Um... 
you know, Wookie and I are from Wisconsin where I live, but he lives down in the Carolinas. He moved down there like 20 years ago to go to a, like a gaming school. Cause he's a pretty good artist and he's, we're both into tech and stuff. So he, he went to a school down there and I was just curious if maybe that was it. And so is it it? Uh, no, it's your neighbor one. <laughs> okay. From Florida. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, oh, Florida. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, I have been in, I've been in Savannah since 2004. Nice. Uh, and before that, I, I was in France. And then before that, I was in Africa. And before that, I was in South America. So I, I traveled wow. a fair bit. <laughs> yeah. It's exciting. That's um, pretty interesting. Have you been making games like while you've been living in all those locations? I'm always curious, like, how different locations kind of create different um, games or genres. Uh, that, that's an interesting. So uh, my, my dad was a civil engineer uh, and I was uh, one of the lucky few to have a computer in my household uh, at a very, very early age. I think I got my first computer, I mean, not mine, but my dad bought uh, the first computer. I was seven and I'm, I'm an older guy. So at that time, there were not that many people that had like mm -hmm. personal computers and I like playing video games. Um, and my dad had that deal with me. It's like for every hour that I was playing a video game, he wanted me to spend an hour learning how to program or like do something with computers. And so <laughs> uh, I kind of learned how to use computers at a very early age. Uh, and then I kind of like you know, became a teenager and like my attention focused on other stuff. <laughs> um, and um, I studied to become a, an advertiser. Uh, and so I worked in advertising and I started using uh, computers again. Uh, and uh, in 2000 or like 1999, uh, internet became kind of like a <laughs> bigger thing. Uh, and uh, as a advertising professional, I started kind of like looking at internet as a way it could kind of change our profession. And uh, so at that time, I learned Flash. Um, and then uh, Flash allowed you to make, you know, websites and stuff like that. But Flash was pretty powerful. And so I started making video games in Flash. Nice. And so that's how I came back into video games. Uh, and I made a fair amount of like uh, mobile games and uh, uh, browser games uh, in Flash and in Java uh, later. Um, and then when, when, uh, when VR kind of came up, I was like, you know what, it's a new thing. And it kind of like reminded me when like I, I moved to the web, you know, being kind of like a guy that was making like TV ads and posters and stuff like that, and kind of getting on the adventure of discovering a new technology and everybody goes on the web and nobody really knows what they're doing, <laughs> but we are all doing it happily and things like that. Like VR kind of felt that exciting to me. It's like. That makes sense. I can see that. I just kind of like <laughs> the idea of like tagging along with that new technology and figuring it out. We must... So at a time at a time where people are talking about bringing ads back in games, <laughs> yeah. well, you have an example of a story of a guy that used to make ads and that now make games. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of the reverse narrative. Nice. Yeah, I, I, we must be a similar age because I it was around six or seven. My dad got a an old IBM. Well, it wasn't old at the time, but. I don't know how I did it, but I somehow mail ordered this box of games and you had to like no coding to get them to to like boot up at the time. <laughs> oh yeah. Nice. I honestly don't remember. I don't know how I did any of that. 
but I did it. No, it, it was <laughs> insane. I mean, like my first my first game, uh, you would play a, a, a cassette, a tape. Mm -hmm. um, my, my first computer was a ZX81. Uh, so if you're in America, it's not going to tell you much because yeah. it was a Sinclair computer. It was made in England. So I don't think these were very popular on the, on the US territory. But I think that the equivalent was the VIC-20 from Commodore. Sure. Uh, but my second computer was a Commodore 64. Uh, so that kind of gives you an idea of my age. Yep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the reason why, like, most of the games that I make rely around pixel art and, like, uh, <laughs> you know, old classics and stuff like that, because th these are the games I grew up with. Right. That's pretty funny. I guess uh, anyone listening to this, to the episode, will have links in the show notes to. To your game um you guys are on quest quest 2 you're on steam right so we are not on steam yet okay uh so we uh that's actually a good uh, uh well you were asking like things that we wish uh so we we were planning to have uh the pc vr version of the game uh for uh, july 15. uh for that matter it was july 14 to kind of coincide with the french independence uh, holiday okay. uh, because why not <laughs> um, but we we had a little bit of work to do uh, to kind of like add uh, some of those things that were missing on the quest version so i think we are going to delay the pcvr version a little bit and so what we are going to do is we are going to align it with our next content release so that when we release on pcvr we release with the actual content release and then we are going to push that content release for the quest uh, uh, as a free update. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I think it's a little too early right now to give a date, but it should be within the summer. Nice. I said it makes sense to release it that way with uh, the extra content on PC. That's good. Yeah, and we want to also kind of like, we both have Oculus devices, but uh, we would like to test a little bit what's happening on the Vive and, you know, the, the index and things like that. So there, there is a, a bunch of stuff that we want to kind of like try out uh before making kind of a commitment on a date sure awesome well thank you guys for your time and and the game like i again i find it charming i love it i like i said i just get in there and walk around sometimes if i only have a couple minutes so i really dig it i can't wait to see more thank you very much for having us yeah anytime yeah. thanks um, this this was fun if you ever want to join us again and talk about an update or anything like that We'll, we'll definitely be glad to have you back. Oh, we will gladly do so. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, have a good evening. Thank you very much for having us again. Uh, and then talk to you later. Yeah. Can't wait to... Oh, sure, I'll see you on Twitter and then in Discord. So. <laughs> Thanks. Yep. Bye. Bye. Well, everyone, that was Cyril and Simeon from Garage Collective working on Stones of Arleth, a great pixel art RPG, well, old school RPG exploration game, dungeon crawler, a little bit of everything. Again, all the links are in the show notes. Definitely check it out. I, it's charming as hell. I love being in the game. It takes me back to my childhood, so I'm sure maybe the younger people won't get that, but <laughs> it's still a good time. The mechanics are great. It it's, runs really well. But check it out. But for this episode, I am PJ, and Wookiee wasn't here, obviously. I'll get on him for you. Kick him in the butt. No, he was. He had something come up.
it's like the third one he's missed, so I, I don't, I forgive him. <laughs> but thanks everyone for hanging out and listening. We'll catch you next time. I am PJ, and this was our VR Verdict.